Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. If you don't know me yet, my name is Scott Meyer, and it's a joy I get to have to preach here and be a minister here. And I just love this church for so many reasons. One of them is just the examples of faithfulness that we have. And I was reminded this morning that Jim and Linda Neighbors are celebrating their 52nd, right? 52nd wedding anniversary today. So if you would. Never has one man so far outkicked his coverage in history than that. So, so congratulations, Jim. Linda, you're in our prayers. So, no, what, what an honor it is to, to see that example and, and to know what it means to live in a covenant relationship. And because that's what God wants, wants to have with us. So, I'm glad you're here today. If you've been invited Uh, because I know we've got lots of folks that invite people to church. If you've been invited, I just want you to know that the person invited you, that was an act of love on their behalf. That was a gift and a present to you because they believe that God does something here during this time. It's not special because you came to church, but there's something significant about opening yourself up to what God can do and uh, what a great day it is to be here together. So um, we're going to dive in to a new series today. And so if this is your first time with us, welcome. You came in on the very front of the movie. And we're going to launch series. And I want to tell you before we begin that I believe this is going to be a significant series for us, especially in light of some of the dreams and the visions that our elders have for they believe God is leading us. And, and we'll be talking more about those in the coming, coming weeks and months. But But this is designed to help us set up something and designed to get us in the right framework for what God's doing. But it's also going to be a personal blessing to you if you'll pay attention to it. So here's what we're going to call a series. I'm calling it, Do I Have To? Now, has anybody ever heard that question asked? Do I have to? It's usually not asked with the tone of voice that I just asked it, is it? It's usually asked much more in a whiny voice, right? So we all have a whiny voice, don't we? Well, let's use it at church for the right reasons for once, okay? So together, I'm going to put the phrase up there. Let's put up our question. Do I have to? Together, let's say this, but don't just say it, okay? Do I have to? Because it never comes out that way. In your best whiny voice, let's say this together. One, two, three. Oh, see, I knew we could do that one. See, that's a lot easier than put a smile on and tell somebody that Jesus loves them, right? Do I have to? Oh, if you're a parent, you hear this all the time. I realize that I said this all the time growing up. Perhaps if you're a coach, you hear this. Perhaps if you're a teacher, is this going to be on the test? Do I have to know this? Do I have to learn this? Do I have to? And so when it comes to some of the things that Jesus teaches, there is a real desire to push back on some of them. And where this one's going is we're going to look at one of the most difficult places to live out some of the teachings of Jesus where you just want to go, do I have to? Is when it involves others. So what does it mean to follow Jesus when others are involved. 
does anybody here love group projects? You remember back in school and they'd sign you a group project? And once the group formed up, most of the time you're like, I'm going to end up doing it all. And that guy is just going to write in on whatever grade I get. Do I have to? There's something about when our faith and when this idea of following Jesus intersects with other people, suddenly it becomes not just theory, but it gets real, doesn't it? And it gets difficult at times. What do we do when we're called to follow Jesus and we're asked to interact with others in a very particular way? You may not be aware of this, but over 50 times in your New Testament, depending on how you count, almost 60, there's instructions, there's commandments, there's direction to say, love one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, serve one another. And we call these the one another or each other passages, depending on how the Bible translates it. And again and again and again, it's this theme that there is a connection on how you follow Jesus and how you interact with those around you. So we're going to go into a one another series asking the question, but do I have to? And if you will allow it, this series and what we talk about has the potential to radically change your relationships. It could radically change your friendships. It could radically change your relationship with mom and dad or your relationship with your children. It could have every bit of consequence for your marriage. So as we move from the do I have to question into asking, what does Jesus ask of me? Because at the end, it's Jesus that designed your relationships, designed who you are and how you interact. So we're going to trust him. Well, to dive in, I want to show you a picture. This is a picture you may recognize. This is Mr. Rogers. I grew up when the generation that had Mr. Rogers. He came on the scene a little bit before I was born, but he had a long, long career. And so I have many memories of hearing Mr. Rogers on his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And if you go back and you look at, at that, it's underwhelming their set and production quality. But Mr. Rogers had a way of teaching virtues and values to children. In fact, there's, some have commented that he is one of the greatest influences on how we should treat others that ever emerged in the 20th century. He passed away about 15 years ago. And what you may not realize is that he was a uh, minister before he became a TV children's show host. And so what he tried to do is he tried to bring this value of how we treat others into the lives of children and really change a generation. And so in 1969, he does something that was radical at the time, and he hires Francis Clemens. And Francis Clemens became the first African-American actor to have a regularly recurring character on a children's TV program in the entire country. And not only that, if you notice, what he did is he dressed him up, the character was, as a police officer. Now, it's not hard for us to get around it today because of all the tension and the racial um, fury that exists in our world right now. 
but rewind the clock to the 1960s, the late 60s, and this is a radical move. He is making a statement, Mr. Rogers is. And he's changing the mindset of kids on what it means to be a police officer. And a whole generation of kids that were taught to fear are learning to appreciate. Well, at this time, one of the issues in America was the fact that uh, pools and hotels were discriminating against what, based on what color you are, whether or not you could swim in the pool. And so for one of his episodes, Mr. Rogers sends this statement where he sits down in this kiddie pool, has it in his front yard, and when Officer Clemens walks up, he invites Officer Clemens to join him by soaking his feet in the pool. And if you watch the episode, they both say, wow, it's hot, but boy, this water feels good. And they share this pool space together. And at the very end, very nonchalantly even, as they're ending this little sketch, they both pull their feet up out of the pool and Mr. Rogers grabs his towel and reaches over and begins to dry Officer Clemens' feet. See, all those values that Fred Rogers, he didn't create those values. He learned those values from Jesus. And Fred Rogers, through his show, helped us to figure out how to be a good neighbor. And that's exactly where I want to go with this today. So if you have your Bibles, please open to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Using one of those scripture journals that we provided. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, is this incredible conversation. Jesus is out teaching. His ministry now has some steam behind it. And he's attracted attention. And oftentimes, as Jesus would do, he attracted the wrong kind of attention, meaning he attracted some people that were actually suspicious of him. And so I want to unpack a conversation that for many of you may be a very familiar conversation. But recently, one of my friends that's also a preacher named Chris Seidman, he did some teaching on this. And when I heard some of the points that he brought out, I just had to bring them to you. And I've been sitting on this for several months now. But as I'm looking at where we're headed as a congregation, this is going to be some vital stuff for us. And so I wanted to share it with you. So in this series, or in this, this conversation, it begins this way. And I'm going to start in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what we have is we have an expert in the law or a lawyer, but don't think of a lawyer in the same way that we would think of a lawyer today because they're judicial and they're theological. They were just all meshed into the same. And so what you have is you have an Old Testament expert. You have a Bible expert standing up. And what he's going to do is he's going to test Jesus because he wants to see how orthodox Jesus is. Now, they've seen some miracles by this point. They've, they've seen some fascinating teaching. But it's a little test here to see, are you one of us or are you not one of us? Are you going to tote the party line or are you going to come up with a different kind of message? And so the teacher asked this rabbi, Jesus, says, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? And here's what Jesus says. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So he answered. Now, the he in this one is back to the lawyer. Jesus flips the question back on him. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is Jesus saying, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, understand, you see what Jesus did? The lawyer comes at him with a question because he really wants to trap him in something. He wants to see. And Jesus flips it back around on him. And says, well, how do you read the law? You're an expert in the law. How do you read it? And the lawyer gives, this expert in the law, gives a very acceptable, standard, traditional answer. It says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've got it. Do this, and you will live. And so out of his mouth comes the answer, and Jesus says, that's it. Now, this guy is not going to stop here, though. He's not going to pause because he still wants to make his point and he doesn't want to look silly in front of this crowd where it looks like the question just got flipped back on him. And so he's got one more question that he thinks is going to be the zinger question. And here's what he asked. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Have you ever been in a conversation where you wanted to justify yourself? How did that go? You just, you're in an argument, you're in a heated discussion, but let me tell you what, and you are wanting to defend yourself. That's what he's wanting to do. He wants to justify himself. He doesn't want to look embarrassed in front of the crowd around him. He doesn't want to look embarrassed in front of Jesus. So, He wants to keep coming and make sure that he's in the right. So he tries to justify himself and he asks a great question. And who is my neighbor? And then Jesus is about to give him not the answer, but a story that has the answer inside of it. So we have a parable of Jesus. And a parable is a teaching of Jesus. And Jesus responds with this parable, which many of you may be very familiar with. But as the best we can, with fresh ears, I want you to hear this today. And in the context of this conversation with the lawyer simply saying, but who is my neighbor? Jesus responds with these words. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have." Now, it's very difficult to hear this story with fresh ears. 
Because we are so familiar with the story that many of you recognize the story by the title that's placed in most of our Bibles at the top. Do you know what an oxymoron is? You heard that oxymoron? You know, jumbo shrimp. You know, two words that don't seem like they should go together. Hurry up and wait. You know, government help. You know, that doesn't work. You know, organized religion. You know, there you go. Those things that don't seem like they go together. There would be no greater oxymoron in the first century than what we traditionally call this good Samaritan. Those words would not have crossed paths. They would not have been in the same sentence. 700 years before Jesus tells this story, the Assyrians had invaded and taken the people of Jerusalem into captivity, the people of, of God into captivity. And during that, those subsequent years between, what had happened is two different groups of Jews developed. One that said, we will never intermarry, and they, they tried to keep distant and pure, even though they were in the mix with this captivity. And the other group that began to intermarry, and eventually, as the children the descendants of the group that intermarried, and they were able to return to Israel and to Jerusalem, they began to separate from each other because the group that did not intermarry looked down on the other group with a hostility and a disdain. And so those that were intermarried, the Samaritans, they were looked on as sellouts, as traitors. And in the harshest of terms, they were the half-breeds. Because they didn't remain pure. And so they were ostracized and they were excluded and they were kept away and kept in our distance. And they were just treated as a whole group of people and those Samaritans. And you would never say good in front of that. And yet here we have this story. Where Jesus tells and he talks about this man that goes down from Jerusalem. Headed to Jericho. And that's a reference to the fact that, that the road actually travels down. And he's traveling down this road and he falls into this attack, this mugging, this, this hijacking, whatever you want to call it. And he's left for dead. And then come two other candidates. One, there was a priest. And you're thinking, okay, this is a good guy. And he's also coming down. So they've come from worship because they've been in Jerusalem. And he sees the man, passes by on the other side. And the other is a Levite, a temple worker, a servant of the temple, another person that if you could put that on your resume or if you could be in that circle, if you would in, wanted to invite them to dinner, you would because you would see this person as a person that could be trustworthy and worthy and noble. And they pass by. And then as Jesus continues to tell the story, he says, then a Samaritan. And when Jesus says the word, and then a Samaritan, you know, everybody stopped. Because the assumption was, and then a Samaritan came over and finished the guy off. The Samaritan came over and picked clean anything left in his pockets. But when Jesus tells this story, he says, then the Samaritan came and he began to treat the man. Not badly, but treat his wounds. He went towards that which was messy. 
he went towards that which he should not have gone towards. He got even involved in a way that probably risked his own life because, hey, maybe the guys that did the initial attack are still around. And not only does he go and he ministers and he treats him, he then saddles his own donkey with him and takes him to a place for care and for comfort and then out of his own pocket pays the expenses. He goes so far above and beyond. Everybody here in the story is shocked beyond belief. Everybody's story is going, what kind of story are you telling, Jesus? And it's the Samaritan that becomes the hero of the story that Jesus is telling. So then Jesus finishes his story and he looks at this lawyer and he asks the question that flips it all around on him. Look at this. Jesus' question is, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Now, look, he couldn't even say the Samaritan. He has so much contempt for the story he just heard, he could not bring himself to say what we typically call this story. He could say, the good Samaritan. So he says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus ends this. You, expert in the law, you go and do likewise. Just a couple things that I want you to take away from this, this story. Is, is who is your Samaritan? Who is your other when we have to follow Jesus, when others are involved, who's your other? Who, who's that person or that group of people that you want to keep at an arm's distance? That you've already got some kind of label on? That you've already got some kind of assumption about? That you've already interacted with and that didn't go well? And so now you've got them at a distance and every time their name comes up or they're referenced all your assumptions start surfacing again and you just want to say, that's what I'd expect from them or those people or that's just how he is or that's just how she is, that's just how they are. Who is it for you? Because one thing we've got to understand what the story is, when the, when the lawyer asked the question, He's not asking a question of how, who all should I include in my circle? He's asking the question, who do I get to exclude in my, from my circle? He's saying, who do I get a pass on, Jesus? Who is my neighbor means who's not. Who's, who do I get to avoid? Who do I get to keep my assumptions about? Who do I get to keep them at arm's length? Who do I get to ignore when I go through my day? Who do I get to keep out of my uh, social circles? Who's not my neighbor? That's what I want to know. That's how he wanted to justify himself. So the question I think we have to wrestle with, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, is who's that person for me? Who's that group of people for me? Who's that individual 
Is it somebody in the community? Is it somebody in your family? Is it somebody at the office? Is it somebody at the school, the high school that you're a part of? Who is that for you? Because Jesus says, and all through the New Testament it says, love one another. And if we're going to follow this love one another, that's a verb. Too often we try to make it a feeling and a noun. But I want you to look at the scriptures again. Look at how many of the verbs goes along with this Samaritan. He saw the man. He moved to the man. He treated the man. He put the man on his own donkey. He carried the man to a place of comfort. He paid for the man and he came back and checked on the man. All verbs. So love is a verb. So who is it, the other, who's the Samaritan in your world that needs to receive some verbs from you? That needs to be the recipient of some love that comes, not because you're so good at this, because you serve a God that's so powerful at this, that you could be that vessel that brings. So what I would say is that let's take this lesson from the story then. And here's the other thing that I want you to do as a takeaway. God hasn't written off our Samaritans, even if we have. God has not written off whoever it is you have in that other category, even if we have. As Jesus told this story, there's a whole crowd of people that were not prepared for the ending because they had all written off the Samaritan. So who have you written off? Because here's the incredible news. God didn't ask your opinion. God didn't need your vote. And he doesn't call you for a consult, I promise. So who's that person that you've written off? Because God hasn't written them off yet. And do you notice, it's not just that the Samaritan is painted in a good light. The Samaritan is the hero of the story. So maybe there's something very simple that we need to be doing. And here's an action step that I want to encourage you to take over this next week. I want you to begin praying for whoever it is that God has placed in your mind and on your heart as we talk about this. I want you to be praying that they would be the hero of Jesus' story. That God, you would somehow use them to be the hero of a story that Jesus is writing. That prayer will begin to alter how you view them. That prayer will begin to cut down whatever distance you have. I'm not suggesting this is simple. I'm not suggesting that perhaps this group hasn't hurt you in the past. We're going to get to talking about that in the coming weeks. But if you'll pray for them to be the hero of a story that Jesus is telling, it will begin to transform how you see them. Because at one point, you and I were the person on the side of the road in the ditch. Now, for you, it may have been so long ago that you forgot that you were ever there. But you were there. Wounded, bleeding, beat up, and broken. Some of you, that's a fresh memory. 
And Jesus was willing to come across the road and do exactly what the Samaritan did and pick us up and be that good neighbor to us. Even when we were the definition of being the other, being the one that's so far different than Jesus that there should never have been a step in our direction by him. And yet he was willing to cross that distance and pay that price and take on that burden and demonstrate mercy. So who will you, who will you show love to? Who will you show mercy to? Because Jesus says, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, it's at this point that I'm so tempted to say, but do I have to? And I'm so grateful that you did, even when you didn't have to. So, Father, I pray for whoever is on our minds, whoever's face we see in front of us, whoever is on our hearts right now, that other in our life that we would begin to be transformed and that we would begin to show mercy and love and be a good neighbor. That we would put action and verbs to that thought. So, Father, we're going to pray. Pray this week that you would make our Samaritans the hero of Jesus' story. That they would even be an example to us of what it's like to serve you and have mercy to others. And Father, as we look both in our families, in our church, and outside of our church into this community around us, that we would be committed to this good neighbor approach and seek ways that we can reach out and serve. Tear down assumptions and tear down um, misconceptions and reach out. Father, may we go do likewise as you have already done for us. It's the name of Jesus that I pray. It's the name of Jesus that I'm grateful. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.